Hey everyone, this is Jeff Stevens and this is the Creative Stick Up. I've got a really interesting guest this week, Matt Miofsky, who's the head pastor at the Gathering Church here in St. Louis, um, a church that is doing things lots of churches aren't, namely growing. Uh, uh, I go to this church, so full disclosure, it is my church, and I've never considered myself a church-going guy, and yet each week I find myself sitting there uh, watching Matt do his thing, and uh, he's really, really good at it. Uh, so I wanted to interview him. I wanted to interview him about his process. I wanted to interview him about how he takes some of this ancient text that has caused so much controversy and seems to be declining and his all the problems with Christianity and has revamped it, reinvented it, and made it very, very um, relevant and connective each, each time I go. You can just tell this church is bursting with creativity. Um, and uh, if you're looking for one, we're all on that journey. If you're on that spiritual journey, uh, this is a really, really good one to check out. So enjoy my conversation with Matt Miofsky. Well, you, it's funny. I was like, uh, I don't know, is Matt cool with coming up to a bar? But then I was like, you've got a bar church. <laughs> you have yeah, a church a in a bar. bar. I know, it's tell, open. I know. Tell, so I'd love to hear about that. And just here, you got this bar church, and this is the fourth location? Yeah, that's the, the yeah, right? Bar church is the fourth location. It's on stream campus. It's actually in Humphreys. Okay. I've been to Humphreys, right, which yep. is, for those who know, it is right across the street from SLU and yep. kind of the unofficial bar of SLU. Yeah. And they don't have a big crowd on Sunday nights normally, but they are open. And so we just kind of tossed this idea out to them like, hey, what if we used your space? We held church here before and afterwards. People get food. If they're old enough, they get drinks. And it can be great for you. And it provides us a a cool venue to have church and reach people that might not otherwise come to the big stone sanctuary on the corner. So, yeah, every Sunday night at 730, we... We do worship. And do they just bring the screen and it's the same sermon and they have music and all? That's right. It's live music. Yep. We, bring in, we have screens. They let us store everything there. So That's about cool. an hour beforehand, there's a team of college students that start setting it up. Yeah. And it's a full worship service. That's awesome. And at the end, they tear it down. But a lot of people kind of stick around, mill around. We oftentimes get appetizers for folks who come. Wow. So, uh, and, and this is, you've got the Clayton location. The McCausen location is where it started. That's right. We that was the first one? On McCausland. And this is how long ago, probably? Uh, we started nine years ago. Oh my God. We started the church nine years ago uh, at the at the site, which was actually an abandoned church building. You know, there was a Methodist church that had existed there okay. since 1888. Okay. And in 2006, they closed. Wow. Like so many churches in the city yeah. are. And so yeah. it was an empty building that was yeah. slotted to be for sale. Yeah probably demolished and uh, we acquired it and started a new church. Wow. So it was about to be demolished probably. It was, it was going to be sold yeah. more than likely to a developer yeah. who was yeah. going to do something yeah. different there. Yeah. yeah. It's, so then it's a good location. And it's funny cause I, I wanted to interview you cause I see you at the head of this vibrant and growing community and from technology to the bar church to expanding into Clayton and now there's the Webster Groves thing. Did you, at the very beginning, is this your vision or are you just kind of making this up as you go along? You well, know? I think it's easy to look back and say, oh yes, I always had this clear vision of yeah. exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. But the, the truth is probably somewhere in between those two things. Okay. We had a vision yeah. and we were making it up <laughs> as we went. So right. any of you have ever been part of something that suddenly grows on you yeah. and starts yeah. really succeeding you yeah. it's a combination of staying true to a vision but also adapting mm-hmm. as as things arise so when we went in i think i had this sense that if a church were to grow and if it were to attract new generations mm-hmm. of people i didn't love the idea of as it grows it just grows into this what I call kind of a big stadium, you know, the church language is like a mega church where you walk in, there's 2000 people, you know, great concert quality music, but there's something a little bit almost uh, 
too polished about it yes. or not authentic yep. enough. It's yep. hard to connect with people. So we thought if we grow, wouldn't it be cool since St. Louis is such a neighborhood oriented city anyway, mm-hmm. wouldn't it be cool that rather than just grow really big in one place, that yep. we grew kind of horizontally, that yep. we had several communities in several different neighborhoods. So we had the benefits of a big church, mm-hmm. but we existed or it was expressed more locally. Yep. And of course that it, I think it has a lot of benefits from from the church's standpoint, but it also just happens to be, I think, sort of the vibe of our city right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, the video part, I didn't know if I'd like to see a sermon on mm-hmm. video or how, yeah. you know, but it's actually fantastic. And and people say that you can go to the Clayton site, you can go to any of these sites and you're like, I don't know if this is going to feel, but it actually feels great. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been an but interesting to check technology. Did yeah, you know and there was really it's 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 been an experiment. Yeah, but, uh, I, I had the idea. And there's a few other churches doing it, but where I got the idea is years ago. I went over to Washu Law School, okay, and I saw that uh, they were doing a class where the professor was teaching in one room, but because it was an intro class and they had more students, yeah, they had two other auxiliary classrooms. Right. They were just watching a live feed. Yeah, and I thought. I just thought about that for a second and thought, here are college students. Uh-huh. This is just yeah. life. Yeah. This is yeah. what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. And, and so we started thinking about it in church. And I think when you try telling people about it, like, oh, yeah, the sermon's going to be via video. Now everything else is live. Music, mm-hmm. there's a live pastor there. When you, when you tell people the sermon's via video, I think they always scratch their head a little and think, I don't know what I'm going to think about that. But then overwhelmingly we get the kind of feedback that you gave that, Hey, I went, it actually, mm-hmm. it felt good. I, th- I don't think we quite realize how much information we consume that way anyway. So mm-hmm. it's not weird. And on the flip side, it actually helps us to be more intimate and relational yeah. because it means that we can have multiple smaller services rather than one huge room. Yeah. So I often tell people the alternative would be all of us, you know, 2000 people gathering in one room you're probably going to be sitting so far away that you're going to be watching the screen right. anyway. Right. So, right. Uh, so yeah, we have this, uh, no matter what site you go to, sometimes it's me live. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a site pastor live and sometimes it's a uh, via yeah. video yeah. and people have gotten really used to it. Yeah. I go on Saturdays at five. So I catch you live a lot. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. So if you want to live Saturdays at five is, yeah. is a good time. And I try to do that now at all the sites. Yeah. So no matter where you go, yeah. you're going to get some of each yep. Yep. and not anything exclusively. Where are you from, Matt? I'm from... Where are you uh, from? I, I always tell people, the simple answer is I grew up in Washington, Missouri. Okay. That's where I grew up, kind of outside in a rural community. But I actually spent the first half of my life, till I was age nine, across the river in Granite City. Oh. Some people might know where that is. G-City. So, yeah, G-City. So I've got this kind of funny combo experience of living in this steel town yeah. that was in decline in yeah. a lot of ways. We moved when I was nine to this really rural community. Yeah, which is a sweet wine, yeah, nice sort town. of a lovely river town. Right. It's actually one of those Missouri towns that's doing well. Yeah. It's kind of a bedroom, become kind of a bedroom community. Yeah. So I had these two really different yeah. experiences. Grow- the opposite of it's, that, correct? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, um, just a I, tough working class east side town yeah, in decline. That's right. And I think both of those places really shaped me as a yeah. person. So I, I like St. Louis because in a lot of ways, it, there's some beautiful, creative, cool things happening, yeah. but it's also a, a gritty city that's got its fair share of challenges, which which for me is a, makes it a place that I want to invest in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you grow up, uh, what did your parents do? My dad worked in the steel mill in Granite yeah. City. That's then, how you got there. Yeah, and then he got a, he grew up there and Worked in the steel mill like so many people did, and then yeah. got a job transfer out to a steel mill in mid Missouri. So um, he's always been in the steel business. Wow. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Do you go to Granite City High? Uh, no, I, so I went to Washington High School. So okay. from age nine on, I grew up in Washington. Okay. So I always say I'm from there. That's where I went to grade school. Yep. Yep. I went to Washington High School, public high school. Cool. So, and when did this? At some point, you had to get into religion get into Christianity discover something about this when what was that all about and when did that happen yeah well I mean like a lot of people I, I grew up my parents took went me to church, church. Yep. Uh, they were they were not pastors they were faithful church attenders and yeah. volunteered a lot but they weren't yeah I didn't grow up in one of those 
I jokingly call it now like a super Christian household right. where everything. Yeah. I didn't grow up that way. We went to church. My like mom's... the Flanders on Silton. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. 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 It wasn't that. No, it wasn't that. I went to church every Sunday and then I kind of liked it. For, yeah. for me, the church actually was sort of like a family. It was mm-hmm. a, a place of people that, that cared for one another. So now I meet people who, you know, often are, are experiences of the church are so varied. We've mm-hmm. been burned by it. We've been bored by it. Yep. But for me, it was a nice little family, yep. and, but it was small. Um, I went to college at Washington University here in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and I was a math major and played football. So religion really you wasn't... You played football. I did. You, yeah. you don't look... I mean, a tight end maybe, right? <laughs> I, I was a wide receiver. Wide receiver. Yeah. Right. Okay, fair enough. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and, and you know, Wash U, I loved it. I mean, I love going to school there, but it, yeah. it, it's not known as a religious place. I mean, it's a fairly secular institution. Yep. And, uh, so religion wasn't huge on my radar screen and then at the end of my sophomore year okay. some guys on the football team invited me to fellowship of Christian athletes which okay. was a bible study okay many people might know of it it's a and there were about eight to ten people okay. so you're just you're a normal study. guy growing up going to college you're on the football team this doesn't seem like it's something you're a math yeah, major right and yeah all of a sudden theoretical math it wasn't even <laughs> applicable <laughs> like you're, it's out there. Yeah, it's, it's out there. there. You don't, you're not, you don't have to be someone that stands up and communicates anything, right? <laughs> no, you, in, extroverts do not go into theoretical right. math. You know? Right, extroverts exactly. <laughs> and so the football team yeah. invites you. Some guys on the football team invite you to a Bible study. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and so then what happens? <laughs> so I went on and off a little bit, and then this funny thing happened. They were graduating, and they said, "Hey, Matt." You ought to lead this thing. Yeah. And I thought they were nuts. I didn't even go that often. I wasn't even like a faithful attender. Yeah. I said, guys, uh, this is not for me. And they said, anybody who grew up in like, uh, you know, one of these really evangelical Christian households might laugh at this. Only a good evangelical Christian can say this. They looked at me and they said, you know, we prayed about it and God told us you're supposed to do it. Wow. I said, I don't think it works. <laughs> I didn't get anything. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, they were persistent. And I said, fine. You know, what does it entail? And just lead the Bible study. Yeah. I said, okay, I'll lead the Bible study. So I came back after my summer break into my junior year. Mm-hmm. And all, all of a sudden, I was leading this wow. thing. And I don't know if you've had the experience of, you know, you say yes to something almost to get out of the moment. Yeah. But then the time approaches when you have to make good on the commitment. Yeah. You think, like, what is it? What was I thinking? Yeah, all the time, Matt, all the time. <laughs> so that was you, it. That's funny. So do you still know these guys? Do yeah, so, uh, you know, through the world of Facebook. Sure. <laughs> but I, uh, so I, I ended Do up, they know the profound fact that they look and say, oh my gosh. You know, I, I need to look them up and tell them. I think they, they know what I'm yeah, doing sure. now. I don't know that they understand how pivotal that moment was. Yeah. You know, you look back yeah. and... There are a lot of moments, but that's one that really sticks out to me as being pivotal. I was, of course, faithful, I believe. But that was a a moment where I was invited into leadership Mm -hmm. and got to test the leadership waters. And largely, I say it was a trick that I think God played on me because I started leading this thing. It was about 8, 10, 12 people. Mm -hmm. And um, really quickly, something profound happened. I was a little embarrassed, so I wouldn't really tell my friends, but they kind of found out, you, know, you do what? You lead a Bible study at Tuesday nights at 9.30? Yeah. And then one day, this guy from the football team said, hey, Matt, do you still lead that Bible study? I said, yeah. And he said, hey, can, can I talk to you about something? And he started to open up about something that was happening in his life. That was a huge turning point because, well, first of all, not to stereotype too much, but guys on the football team don't right. sit around and share. Right. That's not what right. we do. right. Secondly, what he ended up sharing was actually profoundly spiritual. Now, he wouldn't have put that language on mm-hmm. it. It was a struggle, something he was struggling with. But it changed. what I realized from that, before that, I thought nobody cared about church. They had mm-hmm. largely written it off. What I realized after that point is, on the surface, a lot of people have written off church, mm-hmm. many times for good reason. But if you pull back the curtain, so to speak, underneath, we're all wrestling with deeply spiritual questions. Mm-hmm. What do I want my life to be about? What do I value? Mm-hmm. What do I want to be for? And, and how do I want to live? Who do I want to be in relationship with? And how do I want my relationships to be defined? I mean, all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and yet we're largely asking and answering those questions in isolation mm-hmm. or all alone. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, the church could be this, this place 
where we could do that together. So I just started inviting people to this Bible study. Right. And I was famously known as the Fellowship of Christian Athletes director who didn't care if you were a Christian or an athlete. <laughs> if you had spiritual Those questions, two things that didn't matter. Come. Yeah. So all of a sudden it became the place that if you were a little bit of a misfit spiritualist, like yeah. you, you sort of believed, but you doubted or you weren't sure, or you lived a messy life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right. Which, yeah. and yet you, you, you wanted your life to be about something different. This was a great place for you. And so over two years, this thing grew. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So you, so I love this moment in time where everyone finds, it's almost like you had this spiritual experience or something mm-hmm. where you realize what this meant when this person was asking for help. Yeah. Right. And, and so talk about like, I feel that there is a strange embarrassment sometimes to get in the middle of the boat of Christianity or there's always this re- resistance as you probably felt a little bit doing this like what do my friends think I'm leading this Bible study it's not cool and then all of a sudden this thing happens and you it, it changes the way you view the world or something and I, I feel like there's that resistance all the time I feel that all the time just mm-hmm. you know and you, well, and you overcame that I guess yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to approach that question. Let me see if this gets at it. I, on a personal level, and this is a maybe a bit overstating it, but I always thought of myself as kind of an independent thinker. Okay, I wanted to be creative. Yeah, I wanted to do something different. Yeah, uh, I went to Washington University, and there were a lot of people doing a lot of interesting things. Yep. Uh, however, you describe that, and I think a lot of people desire that they yeah. want to do something unique creative yeah. they want to contribute in some way that they, they don't see themselves quite fitting the mold yeah. of culture and yeah. so especially creative types so if you're in that realm the last thing you think of as being a seedbed of creativity is the church that right. seems like a symbol of rules and yeah. regs and uh, you know, conformity, yes. you know, a resistance to change. Yeah, two thousand years of baggage, mm-hmm. right? All that stuff. So I don't think the church. The church is no. almost a place that you're like, well, whatever I decide to be, that's what I am not going to be. Like that yeah. symbolizes everything that I don't want to be. Yeah. yeah. So overcoming that yep. and giving yeah. faith a chance yeah. to be something different mm-hmm. is a leap. Yeah, it was a leap for me. It's a leap, I think, for a lot of us to think that faith and the institutions that spring up around mm-hmm. faith or mm-hmm. the communities that spring up around it can actually be something very different. Yeah. They can be actually the seedbed of, of those things that we're looking for. That hasn't been most people's experience, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of became my experience, and I wanted to, I wanted to to bring that yeah. experience to others and yeah. show that it. It, while it hasn't been that, yeah. it actually can be that. Did you remember a moment where you were like, I can, I can take creativity and bring it to this religion and do something great with it? Was there a moment where you were like, this is, I, I, I feel I can do this? Because yeah. you didn't go to seminary. You're not training for this, right? I hadn't yet. I've been right, now. At, at, right course, at the course, time. But at this you know, moment. Here, it was, it was, I wish I could say it was that strategic. It, it, but... Uh, it wasn't. What happened yeah. to me was by the by the end of my senior year, yeah. you built this community. Yeah, all of a sudden on Tuesday nights at nine thirty, there's sixty to eighty students gathering, and I'm just another student. Right. I'm standing up and giving a little ten minute reflection. We're breaking into small groups. People are asking me questions. But what what it really was is I was 21 years old and I was about to graduate from college and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I really didn't want to grow up yet. I didn't want to get a job. I was too poor to backpack across Europe or something cool like that. I was too late in the game to sign up for the Peace Corps or something like that. So I I was kind of scrambling. I thought, what what am I going to do? I don't want a job. I certainly don't want like some responsible math type job. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden somebody said, hey, have you ever thought about going to seminary? Because you're kind of good at that. Right. That Tuesday night, <laughs> and I feel bad saying this a little bit, Jeff, but mm-hmm. in some ways, seminary for me was like this three-year, like if you want to be really quirky and different, go to seminary for three years, then go into it, your job, because nobody does that. Right. Who goes to seminary? Yeah. So I actually kind of thought, no, that'll be weird. Yeah. So purposely I, quirky, purposely yeah. right, <laughs> right, like, kind of. This is who and, I am, and, and I'm gonna just zag. And there was a part, yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Everyone's yeah. zigging, I'm gonna zag. Yeah. So I, I, I had this, 
there was an emerging sense that maybe there was something to faith yep. that, that, that was for me. Yeah. But the, the more honest answer is I applied to these really cool places and they gave me great scholarships and it was this three-year graduate program that, that was so different from my math degree that I thought, well, this looks interesting. Okay. Yeah, everyone was zigging, so I thought, why not zag? And where, where did you go? Where was I went to – so I decided on Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. They have a, a school of theology, so okay. it's a three-year master's degree okay. that I received there. And so this is where you immerse yourself in religion. That's you right. Learn, you yeah. learn the story. The and I really, Yeah, that's right. I really – even in picking a seminary – um, I really wanted to go to a school of theology that was attached to a larger university like Emory. So okay. here's the school of theology right next to the business school, the medical school, okay. the undergrad. So you, yes, you're immersing yourself in uh, studying religion, but you're doing it in the midst of a, of a, of a place where people are studying all sorts yeah. of cool things. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's just got the energy of a university. Yeah. It's not going off into the mountains to, you know, yeah. Was there any, life. any, <laughs> which I think a lot of people can think that right. might think, be like, Oh man. Yeah, seven, right. Yeah. Three. And so did you, uh, ever, have you regretted, was there ever a moment in there? You're like, Oh man, I don't know if I've, I've done this right. Or did you pretty much take to this? And like, this is, well, it was not so much a moment of regret, but, What's always been true for me, and I think that if this is true for you, then you'll sympathize. I always craved a a clear vision of what I was supposed to do with my life, and I just never really had it. Okay. So all I ever ever was able to see is like, maybe this is the next best step for me. Okay. And so I've never been able to see much further ahead than maybe the next best step. Okay. And for those people who just always knew I wanted to be X, I was always jealous of those people like, man, I wish... I wish I had that kind of clarity of vision, yeah. and yet um, it, I never would have had the vision of what I'm doing right now. Right. I never could have imagined right. this when I was a kid. So, I, you know, for me, it's like God has – by just taking the next best step, it's actually led me to something I never could have imagined yeah. for myself. That's funny. And they say that a lot, like you can never imagine the life you'll have yeah. right? if you just keep trying to do the next mm-hmm. So I found my spirituality in recovery. Which is interesting, and the 12 steps, and, and mm-hmm. have not been religious, but I think going to this church has been such a compliment to it. And, and we'll talk about that happy sermon, mm-hmm. because I thought that was, the basis of that is was a lot of stuff from AA, or a lot Absolutely. of the same kinds of ways to, to be content. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but I just, I wanted, let's finish off the story of the church. You, you sure. end up in seminary, you come back to St. Louis. I come back to St. Louis and uh, I was kind of right back where I was. Yeah. I needed a job. I wasn't right. sure what like, I was going to do. Okay. Even at that point, I wasn't sure yeah. I was going to be a pastor. Start, they say, go start a church. Is that no, the job? No, okay. so uh, in fact, quite the opposite. They never do that. I was offered <laughs> an assistant pastor job at a suburban St. Louis church, okay. United Methodist Church. And, and is, it's a Methodist seminary, so you know that part of it. Right, okay. right. Yeah, it was Methodist seminary. Yep. I liked the, the way United Methodist expressed Christianity. Okay. Um, so I was an assistant pastor. That was great. I was an assistant pastor for four years in Webster Groves. Okay. But during that time, I was 24, 25, mm-hmm. yep. 26 years old. Yep. It gave me a chance to really observe the, in some ways, the problems, mm-hmm. the disconnect between the lives people were living, especially younger generations mm-hmm. of people, and the life of the church. Yeah. And I saw beauty in both, right? but they, not very many people were putting these two things together. Right. Largely people were, again, turned off to the church. And on the flip side, the church was largely ignoring the, yeah. the, the challenges and changes of new generations of people. Right. So as I began to see that and talk, and I mean, it's a little bit of a longer story, but all that, the four years was mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a discernment period. And at the end of that, I began to have the sense that if I'm going to be a pastor and stay in this, yeah. which wasn't a given, okay. I think I need to try to do something new. Okay. Start your own thing. Start my own thing. Yep. And, and my bishop, which in the Methodist church were under appointment of a bishop, my bishop happened to be uh, innovative enough mm-hmm. to say, hey, I'll let you do that. Okay. Go for it. So he could have said, eh. he could have said, no, we're okay. not going to do that. I mean, this does not happen very much. Okay. But the fact that he said, yeah, go for it. I'll right. support you in this was huge. Yeah. You know? And do you, what did he, re- did he, looking back, did he recognize something in you versus do, do 10 other guys want to start churches or are you just like, well, you're crazy enough to try this? 
Go ahead, Miyowski. Yeah, well, it was, it, was probably, it was a combination of a couple different things. We, we joke about it now. because So you still, still know? He's become a significant mentor. Of okay. Mine. You know, most people see the the, the institution as the stodgy yeah. kind of, but but for me, my bishop, I had this, you know, I, I just lucked out. He you was did. just this great, creative, innovative, permission-giving yeah. kind of guy. guy. Yeah. And even though he's in kind of a bureaucratic position, yeah. he used it to yeah. make space. Yep. So but That's great. I mean, to have a, it's like you have a great boss. That's yeah, such a big deal. That's right. It is. Or, or being in a big organization, <laughs> yeah. if they give you space to be creative, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. So being given, so you need those protectors yeah. who carve out space yeah. for the creatives to do something. That's, he was that kind of a guy. Yeah. Uh, but it, uh, yeah, he, he, uh, he let me work. do it. It was kind of a combination of I was kind of still crazy enough and naive enough to think I could do it. Yeah. And the church was desperate enough that it was willing to take a flyer. You know, like we don't, yeah. we have, we need a win. Yeah. So it's like, well, let's, let's try this. Cause so many it. things are in decline. I love it. Yeah. Why not? Why not? That's so funny. <laughs> and, and it has been an incredible success story. I mean, you, so you start this thing mm-hmm. on McCaws and you were just telling me a story. We're up in the beehive again, where I record a lot of these up above Brennan's and you were telling me a story very early on that you had this wine tasting <laughs> to raise as much money as you possibly could to get this going right. nine years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, it was nine years ago. And it was really, money was a secondary thing. It was really yeah. like, how do we meet interesting people? Yeah. And so you start a church and just say, I need to, yeah. you get the ball rolling. There's no physical space. No, there's so nothing. It's just you. It's me invite right. talking to people. Okay. And man, if you think uh, your job's weird, try walking up to somebody in Starbucks and hey, you know, uh, <laughs> you go to church anywhere? What do you, right. what do, you do? Are you, do you believe? Wow. Yeah. And what complicated even more is... And that's was, what you did. You went out and just started meeting people. A little bit. I started meeting people. Yeah. I, one of my goals is like... I, Thou shalt not be weird. You know, I tried really hard not to be a weird <laughs> Christian, at least in the negative sense. So, and, and honestly, I wasn't looking for a bunch of people who yeah. already were connected. I was looking for these people who maybe had given up, yeah. I say bored or burned out, yeah. and yet yeah. they're still searching for something. Yeah. So mostly, Jeff, what I did is since I grew up close to here, went to college here, worked here, I had a lot of just friendships yeah. and connections yeah. in the city. So I started talking to my friends and, yeah. hey, um, I know you don't go to church, but if you were to go, what kind yeah. of church would that be? Okay. But what would it be attractive uh-huh. to you? And I started listening. Mm-hmm. And through those conversations, I started saying, hey, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. I don't know where it's going to be, but I feel called to create a Christian community that's compelling for new generations of people in St. Louis. You want to help me out with that? Yeah. And there were some people crazy enough to say, well, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So we actually attracted early on a lot of pioneer types I who bet. were just yeah. crazy enough to say, eh, I'm kind of interested in that. Yeah. I mean, a few people that we know. And, um, and, and it really just started growing from there. Okay. So I wouldn't walk up to the stranger as much as I would, you know, meet I knew Jeff and Jeff would have some friends over and I'd happen to meet him. And so that was the wine event up here in this space was, it was like, Hey guys, let's have an event that your friends might actually want to come to. Right. And you know, Bible study in the church basement, probably not (laughs) it. How about a wine tasting over at Brennan's? Right. And it was just a great time to meet people, create community and share a little bit about what we were looking to do. So yeah, this is a space. This is a very early meeting. Yeah. Before you had a physical space. Yeah. Right. Wow. And from the time you decided to do this church to the time McCausland opened, what was the, how long was that? When I received permission and yep. really started working on it, it was about February of 2006. Okay. And, and we had our very first weekly worship service on September 17th of 2006. So it was about wow. six months. Okay. It, really, it was fast. But again, That's see, nice. I, was, I was too young and naive to know that you weren't supposed to try it that yeah. fast. Right. So most people take 18 months or yeah. this two-year sure. period. Of, well, all I knew is I was supposed to start a church. So you did. And I actually wasn't appointed to do it until July. Oh, my God. So it was really July to September. And you're rolling. It was about two months. That's a win. It's a win, but it's also <laughs> a little crazy. It says something about my personality. It I'm does. like, oh, you want me to start a church? We're going to do it in a month, you know? One thing I'm, I'm hearing is from the very beginning, and one thing I think this comes across uh, is that you you co-create this experience with a lot of people. And yeah. almost from the beginning, you went out and asked people what kind of church they want to have. Yeah. And has that been, I'm sure you've gotten the gamut of what kind of church 
and you were commenting on this the other day. It's like you ask anybody their opinion, you're going to get it, right? Yeah, you're going to get it. A lot of different things. So how did you, from the beginning, know that, and, and I guess this is it. Let's get into your process because each week I think you bring, you bring this 2,000-year-old text to life, make these things really relevant. It's funny. I was thinking that, oh, my, the human condition hasn't changed. We still right. want this from 2,000 years ago to now. We're, we're, we are human beings and we suffer and we don't live in the present and we don't have content lives and we make it hard for ourselves and we're looking for something uh, to give us this, this direction, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, we haven't evolved that much because it's still the same. It's the same stuff. I, right? I laugh all the time that, you know, part of my job is really to strip away some of the noise and help people to see how profound these 2,000-year-old stories, 3,000-year-old stories yeah. really are. Yeah. They're obscured sometimes from historical and socioeconomic differences and cultural differences. But it, when you can tease that stuff out or kind of push it away a little bit, you say, like, oh, wow, that's me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, I, I do that or I think that or I've made that mistake. Yeah. And so it's fun for me to preach because a lot of times I think my job is like, let me teach you this story Mm -hmm. Let me help make sense of the things that don't make sense to us. But really, let me help elevate what the story is really about. Mm -hmm. And I love, if I'm able to do that well, there's usually that moment where people are like, oh yeah, I felt like you were, that was talking to me. Yeah. And th that's what I mean when I say, you make all of a sudden this 2,000 year old text comes to life mm -hmm. and you realize like, oh man, yeah. that's me. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Well, and one of the sermon series that you did recently, which and, and I'd love to know the process of this because I think it's probably relevant to all of them, but it was on happiness. It was how to be happy. Mm -hmm. And it was, I don't know if it was the time of year, but it was incredibly crowded. Yeah. Right? It was. Yeah. And so I just thought, oh, every Record attendance. Want, record attendance. Yeah. And this thing goes out. It's it's uh, three, three or four weeks on how to be happy. Yeah. And it was, yeah, everyone was there. And I'm like, everybody, this is, we're all searching for this, right? Yeah. This is that word in and of itself, something we want from life. And ultimately, you brought to life this uh, letter from Paul to the Philippians, yeah. right? Or this was your basic text right. on how to lead a content life. And so, yeah, I'd love, how did you find that, where did that whole, your process of creating these sermons and just yeah. how do you do these? Well, you know, this actually ties together a few different things you were talking about. So I look at the whole year yeah. and I tend to preach four week series, four or five week series, yep. you know, so we'll, we'll, let's, let's take a theme or a book or a concept and let's talk about it for four weeks. I like that because it feels more like a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm able to, to hear week to week what people are thinking how they're reacting and we can address some things yep. so um, it starts there and it's a combination of things some of it's my own personal prayer mm -hmm. discernment you know knowing what I know about people mm -hmm. seeing what I've seen as a pastor a lot of people come to me with issues that are going on in their lives I pay attention to the patterns I'm seeing in mm -hmm. people's lives I kind of use all that to say God, you know what, what would what do we need to be talking about in 2016 in St. Louis what do we need to be talking about? Okay. You know, and all sorts of things come to mind. You know, mm -hmm. there's consumerism, there's there's white privilege, there's mm -hmm. uh, crime, there's education, there's forgiveness. There, I mean, all these themes mm -hmm. start to emerge. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's part of it. Some of it's asking. You know, hey, mm -hmm. what do you? Get? You know, if you had one yeah. one thing that you would show up to church to hear, what would it be? Yeah, I'll put the surveys out, Facebook. Facebook's great for yeah. this. You just throw something yeah. out. I think your use of technology is brilliant, right? To get it this is. constant, it's a dialogue. Right, it is. Yeah. So, so no one stream, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like I just turn it over and say, well, what do you want it to be about? Whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. But that's important. I want to hear what, what you think. Mm -hmm. And I use that. So, so we put it together, a plan for the year. And say, hey, let's talk about this and then this and then this. And so there's some logic to... To how we put those together. Mm -hmm. And for me, right after the holidays, it's a new year. You know, whether you like New Year's resolutions or not, mm -hmm. it's somewhat cliche, but all of us, I think, are sort of thinking, man, what was 2015 like? And what do I want to do different in 2016? Yep. How can I be better? How can I mm -hmm. be happy? Maybe? Yeah. And that, that's how the idea came up for that. Yeah. And so we kind of brainstormed it. And what we do, Jeff, is I'll get a team of people in the room. These are not church. I mean, these are people who go to the church, but they're professionals, people who work at ad agencies, mm -hmm. people who uh, work in marketing, writers, creative types. Mm -hmm. And I say, here's what I'm thinking of preaching on. 
what images or names or yeah. ideas come to mind. Okay. And I let that group kind of help shape. And then if you've been to our church, yeah. it ends up coming out in graphic design yep. and video work yep. and yep. all sorts of things. It, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Every sermon series almost has its own living brand. It mm-hmm. has a, a vibe and a feel, and it's always really well done. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you literally have a creative brainstorm on this series. Yeah. Stories to tell. So it's not because it's not just you sweating it out in some room trying to no, create no, these no, sermons. No. There, there's actually now this big process of, of me and the pastors, but yep. also the creatives. And, yep. and what I love to say is people say, oh man your stuff's so good I love that graphic design and I say well thank the local advertising scene in St. Louis because all the people that do that stuff for us are people that during the week are creative directors artists and stuff at a lot of advertising agencies in St. Louis or freelance or people that you know are artists and creatives so we're able to bring those worlds together I mean here they are doing it all week maybe to sell you know whatever Mm -hmm. and but on, on the weekends they get to to use it to mm-hmm. maybe reach people in a different way. So it's really, I love that yeah. because I then get to intersect with a lot of people who are doing a lot of cool things yep. in the city. Well, it's, and we all, you know, we're in this culture game and everybody wants to have meaning in their jobs. And I think this is a great way to give everyone opportunity, right? Yeah. To find real meaning in what they do. Yeah. I often tell people, I mean, not, you know, not, your job's not always going to be everything you want it to be. Yeah. I, mean, I think the older you get, the more you realize yeah. that, but but you can use your gifts, not only through your job, mm-hmm. but even beyond it to do meaningful things. So I think that, uh, you know, for me, it's not so much f- finding a meaningful job, mm-hmm. but finding the meaning yeah. in the job you have. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you'll have a new one one day. So a lot of people will will say to me, eh, my job's okay, but what I love is my job actually equips me to be able to do this outside yep. of the church. and. That really brings. I love that. Yeah, I bet. So you've got. So I was going to just talk to you a little bit about uh, parenting because oh, I know you've got yeah, kids, I do. right? And you know, we we live in this age of the internet, and I don't know. I think it's really hard. Just just how do you deal with the kids' internet spirituality and all that, right? And I know these are all challenges we all struggle with. Them. I'm a oh, father, yeah. but I was just curious, like. I was like, does Matt let his kids? Are, are they online? Are they on the tablets? Are they yeah. on the internet? I mean. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. We're parenting. All, we all have p- opinions, right, right about right. parenting. So yes. it become this, uh, gosh, it can be controversial. People yeah. hold strong opinions about it. Yeah. I do have kids. I have a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old, two sons and a daughter. Yep. And, of course, they've grown up in a digital age wanting to grab my iPhone when they're one or two or whatever. And so, you know, I... Um, and part of this is impacted by my faith. I never liked, you know, the the wing of Christianity that said our job is to protect and insulate our kids from everything that's going on in the world. That's one vision of faith, I think. Right. Like, the world is a bad, evil, nasty uh-huh. place. So I'm going to do everything I can to protect and insulate my kids from it. And that's not me. I yeah, think yeah. faith calls us to be in the world but not of it, which means... You get you risk a little, yeah. and yet you're normal. <laughs> you right. live in the world. Yeah, yeah. So all that applies to my parenting. Like, I, yes, our kids have technology. Yes, they play on. Yeah. You know, they, they have an iPod Touch, and my oldest son, my 14 year old, has an iPhone already. Yeah. They have a, you know, an iMac sitting yeah. in our den. They have a, you know, they. My oldest son does Instagram. Like. You know, my daughter already wants Snapchat. I told her not yet. She's 10. I said, <laughs> oh. you know, no, we're not going there yet. Yeah. But I think all of us who are parents, wherever you draw those lines, we all have to draw them, right? Like yeah. some amount of freedom, yeah. letting them explore, letting them learn, teaching them how to be responsible with technology, mm-hmm. just like everything else, keeping a close eye on them. And yet at the same time, giving them a little bit of freedom and I don't know that where I draw the line is the right place, but we all have the challenge of like, okay, where, where's the line of like, yes, yes, yes. mm, No, not yet. No, not that. And so I think for for Jessica, my wife and I, it's, it's the same thing with us and our kids. It's like, yes, we live in a world Mm -hmm. that has technology. You're going to have to figure out how to, you know, responsibly use these things. And part of my job, I think, as a parent is to sort of teach you and shepherd you along and how to yeah. how to live in this world where, hey, you click on that 
not good stuff over there. But you can also use technology for these other purposes. So, you know, I wish... I wish I got it right all the time, but I think I try to, uh, I, I try to approach it that way. Yeah. Uh, well, it's fun. We've been bringing our kids and making them come into the sermon. They, they have done really well. So that's good. good. And they're a little younger than yours. Yeah. Um, so a couple things I, I was thinking we'd sort of maybe wind this down with a little bit of the speed round. Just sure. Yeah. Throw yeah. Some rapid fire. The, yeah. Rapid fire. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if it's that rapid fire, but the, the, <laughs> This I really wanted to get to this. Uh, the four ways that Paul, from the ways to lead a contented life, right? Oh, yeah. You're going to make me remember this? No, no. I, got oh, okay. I wrote okay. them down. Good. One day at a time. This, this yeah, mindfulness sure. in the presence, right? Yeah. Live in the present. Don't compare. Oh, yeah. Don't compare yeah. yourself, yeah. right? And this is all from this letter. Right. Um, gratitude. Mm-hmm. Got your gratitude on. And uh, Surrender. Yeah. Let go and let go. Yeah, let go and control, right? Yeah. We're control freaks. And I think this is interesting that 2,000 years ago he writes this and ha- it has these ingredients mm-hmm. in it. This is, uh, this is a, this is recovery. These are the 12 steps. Right. Not kind of like, I mean, it is. That. It's it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, so it's, it feels like this, this really profound wisdom. I mean, this is as, as good as it gets in teaching people how to live their lives, right? I mean, this is it. This is at the core. Yeah. Of contentment. Absolutely. What's, what's, so 12 steps is actually, I think anybody who's a recovering addict is probably, uh, closer to the, the, the kernel of the gospel yeah. than they realize. I mean, there's a reason for that. Historically, the 12 steps actually came right yeah. out of scripture. Came right out of and scripture. we kind of lost the scriptural mm-hmm. essence because we wanted to make it non-sectarian, yeah. which is good. Yeah. But now people are discovering like, oh, wait a minute. I know. This is based on that. I know. Hey, that's the step. I know. And, and um, but, it's, but 12 steps in AA is, it's a beautiful example of how an ancient text and idea mm-hmm. has actually been reinvented to provide huge meaning and life change yeah. for people today. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, this stuff, um, that, that's all that stuff is there yeah. in scripture, yeah. but people, um, the church has not done a good job. I don't think of, of bringing it to the surface yeah. for people. That's, and that's what I love about, I, I always thought Christianity felt complicated and I think you simplify it to a point where I know what I'm supposed to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is huge. It's, it's all about communication. Um, okay. So, is there, real quick, is there a minimum to believe to be a true Christian? Do you need to believe Jesus came back to life, died on the cross, that story? It feels, and I'm just curious, mm-hmm. like, is, is there uh, something? Well, yeah, so here's what I say to that. It's, it's sort of a yes and a no. Uh, the church, the reason I'm resistant to the question is for such a long time, the church has been seen as a place that says, Here's the stuff. Yeah. You believe it or you're out. Yes. If you believe it, you're in. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, dogma, a creed. This is what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And you have to either assent to it or not. Right. If you read the Gospels, um, so I call that a, a believe, uh, behave, belong scenario. Okay. Believe the stuff we believe. Yep. Behave the way we want you to behave. Then you can belong. Okay. The problem with that is I think in the scripture, Jesus actually flips that. Jesus actually says, hey, first belong, then behave, Mm -hmm. then you'll come to belief. So what Jesus does first is he creates through relationships a place of belonging. Okay. Then he invites us into different practices in our life. Hey, instead of that, try this. Mm -hmm. Hey, instead of bitterness, maybe try forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And then over time, people came to a belief in who he was. So I think the church ought to be the same way. So yes, there's beliefs. Yes, yes we hold them. Yes, they're important. Yes. But if you're if you're on the outside, I'd say before we get to any of that, come and check it out and find a community where you can authentically belong. Because okay. I, I don't care if you believe or not. Yep. Then try on some different ways of life. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we'll get to the belief. We'll talk about Jesus and the resurrection and, and why we think that's important. But let's not lead with, hey, do you believe this? Oh, no, you're out. Yeah. And that's, I think that feels sometimes like that was it. And that's yeah. not the way you've ever approached yeah. that. I also think uh, your complete inclusion, uh, homosexuality was a big deal. It's not, it's not anymore how quickly that came. We've all, it's just really become the same. We've all accepted it. But there was a moment within the last five years yeah. where this became, 
divisive, concerning, and I thought your approach to it has been amazing. My my wife's brother's gay. We couldn't get we couldn't quite get Christianity for such a long time because of this one mm-hmm. issue. And now I think you've done it, the way you went through the scripture, but even just making it incredibly inclusive and everyone feeling like you just dealt with it. So, yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, this is obviously still a big deal culturally, but yeah. especially in the church, yeah. it's very divisive. The traditional teaching says, look, uh, can't be gay and be a Christian, can't do a gay wedding, can't be gay and be a pastor, right? you know, on and on. And uh, I just believe something different. And the gathering has been this beautiful example of a community that can still rigorously believe in scripture, have strong beliefs, hold up, uh, you know, kind of a vision for how we ought to live together mm-hmm. and include straight and gay people mm-hmm. in that vision. So I preached a few years ago and, and a few times kind of the way I read scripture yeah. and why I think LGBTQ people um, ought to be welcomed into you know all levels of leadership in the church and how together we're all held to certain standards around relationships and sexuality, yeah. but that it doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight. Uh, yeah. Gay people are Christians, straight people are Christians. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I've, I'm a little bit of a minority amongst Christians right now, but it's, it's a changing minority where I believe that people can be faithful Christians and yeah. have, uh, you know, strong marriages, whether it's gay or straight. Yeah. Do you, are you a rebel in the Methodist church? They're like that Niaski, like somewhere, somehow these, the bishop or you know, the yeah. higher ups are like, this, this guy's pushing the envelope. You know... Do you ever get a letter? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Some, sometimes I'm seen that way. There are people that don't like it. But what's been funny to me, me is actually the number of people that are really supportive. I like, I, what I, I get bet. more of is, I could never pull that off in my church, but man, I'm so glad you're doing that. Cool. Or like secretly, like, well, I could never publicly say that, but like, behind, the, behind the scenes, like, yeah. go for it. We really love what you're doing. <laughs> so that's been encouraging that... Yeah. I'll get a little bit of the rebel look at him. Why does he do that? But yeah. but more often than not, yeah. it's the sort of, hey, we can't do that here. We'd never get away with it. But yeah, that's so funny. Well, you know, it's what you are a tremendous speaker, incredible talent. I'm, and the last thing is, do you, how do you memorize this stuff? I give presentations all the time. I need more notes. I'm just amazed you can stand up there yeah. and nail those things. Is that just practice? You just done it so much? Well, it is. It's a, you know, there's, there's not a, there's some tips and tools that you learn over the years, but it's just a lot of reps. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, you I'm standing up there preaching. Like, so, you know, I have a fairly, you know, I write, I write a full manuscript. Okay. I preach it to a small group of four to five people. And okay. I say, when I get done, I say, all right, critique it. Mm-hmm. Like, what didn't make sense? Okay. What did you like? What okay. didn't connect? Which is so hard to do with okay. any of our work, yeah. right? right? I mean, if you're a writer Completely. or an artist... You're hey, what do you think? Inviting people to beat this up, and you oh, need them to. Right? And you need, if you want to be better, I think yeah. you need them to. We hide behind, like, well, this is my yeah. creative genius. But, you know, I, I want my work, my art, if I can call it yeah. that, yeah. I want it to connect. Yeah. So so if it doesn't, then it's, it's, uh, it's, I want to change it. So I do that, I revise it, and then, in, yeah, I practice it, but most of the now, mostly now, um, it's not really memorizing. You just sort of absorb okay. the... I, I try to think of the sermon as a story or a conversation. Yeah. It's much easier then to, yeah. to, to have this conversation with the congregation. Yeah. Um, but mostly it's just a bunch of practice. I do it every weekend five plus times and that's over great. nine years. That's yeah, a you lot of reps. Right. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I, I, let's wrap up. I got a couple quick ones. Mozambique Wells is our is the charity of our church. Love we, it. Yeah, internationally we're dig wells for safe water in Mozambique. Right here in St. Louis, our investment, which you'll be hearing about at Easter, is um, we meant we're reading mentors in city schools. Right okay. now, we're invested at Peabody Elementary School, kind of in the near south side. Yep. It's the worst performing school by test scores, yep. and we're there almost every day with people helping kids learn to read. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Simple, but so necessary. Yep. I, I, I find that great every week. It's, there's a incredible mission of the church, mm-hmm. which I, I'm sure ultimately, you know, it's funny you want to grow, but at the end of the day, 
the mission, I guess, is to find something that you can leave an impact with. You, you right? That's right. Yeah. And you gotta, yeah. The bigger we get, and I, think, yeah. I think this is true for a lot of organizations. The bigger we get, the harder it is to really stay focused. Yeah. You kind of want to try to do everything. Yeah. And then you end up not doing anything well. Yeah. So what's cool is we've just put all our effort, like, yeah, let's make a huge difference through Wells for Safe Water with yeah. our brothers and sisters in Mozambique. Let's impact the city of St. Louis yeah. by investing in the lives of kids in our schools and teach them to read. I could go into all that reading ends up impacting later on crime, health, course. Uh, job. Yeah. Um, but what's cool is people in our church mm-hmm. are impacted at our church, their faith grows, and they go out and they're doing all sorts of cool things. Yeah. So if you go talk right. to the people in our church, right. I mean, they're doing everything from environmental things to social justice. It, it's so a lot of things. That's awesome. And last thing, let's talk Easter. Yes. Big Easter. We, it's the one time a year when all our sites come together yes. and we just have a big bash. Yeah. And it's so much fun. This year we're doing Easter uh, at... Peabody Opera House in downtown St. Louis. Yep. So, which is a beautiful room. It's a it's a beautiful room. Thirty one hundred seats. We yep. hope to fill it up. Plenty of space for people to invite their friends. But it also, I love that it's in downtown because um, so many churches for Easter, it's like the highest holy day. So they, you know, they kind of do it inside their church buildings. And we thought, hey, for Easter, this biggest day of the year, why don't we go out into the community and do it in a place where anyone in St. Louis who's maybe not connected. Come worship with us. It's yeah. awesome music, awesome message, everything, you know, free parking, Peabody Opera House. And we just use it as a day to say, hey, come, just give it a chance. Yeah. Check it out. See if it can't be something meaningful for you. So And Funky Butt Brass Band. I'll throw them in. Funky Butt Brass Band. Charles Glenn, if you yeah, remember yeah. the blues game, he sings yeah. the national anthem. Yeah. We have some other artists who will be joining us. So it'll be, yeah, the music will be cool. Awesome. That was good. Is there anything anything you wanted to say that I, I missed? It's, I, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I really appreciate you it. You know, I loved it. Jeff, I'm so glad you invited me. So often yeah. the church is like seen as a place, like I said, of conformity and restriction. And yet, for me, it's always been a seedbed of creativity. And we just want to, yeah. to help others to see it as a place uh, that can be a seedbed uh, for them as well. So, That's awesome. Well, thanks. keep doing what you're doing, my friend. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I draw